0: All right. Are you, are you glad you came yet? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad three of you are glad you came. Uh, thank you guys again. Um, we're in a series that we're start that we're calling, um, grace is a river and this is week three and I'm really excited to get into it. And, um, you know what? I think, I think we'll just get right into it this morning. Um, but first, okay. I was just I was just testing you. Wasn't last week incredible? We dedicated 28 kids to Jesus last Sunday. That was yeah. Um that was a pledge of the parents that the parents made uh that we are going to do our best to teach our kids who they are in Jesus. And you'll hear me say that a lot, who you are in Jesus, uh because we believe that who we are in Jesus is who we were really supposed to be in the first place, is our true identity. And so um, last week, we, we, um, it was such an incredible week, uh, and I just left, you know, on a, on, it was another mountaintop Sunday, which we, we have those often around here, and I'm thankful for those. Um, so week three of this series that we're calling uh, Grace is a River, uh, in week one, we talked about stepping into the river of grace. I every week on Wednesday, I, I meet with with a friend of mine. That's another pastor down in Houston, Texas, and um, we talk about God's word and, and it's a and it's a discipleship relationship, which if you don't have anyone in your life that you can talk to about God's word, I encourage you find someone. Find someone today. Don't leave here without knowing someone that you can get into a relationship with to talk about God's word with because God's word is what makes the difference. God's word is, it's our playbook. And you have to know the plays to know, like you have to know the plays if you're going to run the place. And, and so you have to be able to talk. Um, I played high school football for a little while uh, when I was in high school, and I used to, <laughs> I didn't always know the plays very well. But you know what I did when I didn't know the plays very well? I played, um, in my, my senior year of high school, I played offensive guard. And um, I'd sit, I'd, I'd, I'd go to line up at, at guard, and I'd look at my, my, the tackle next to me, and I'd say to him, hey, do I down block on this, this play? He's like, yeah. And so I'm like, all right. So I, I down blocked, because he knew the plays better than I did. Sometimes in our lives, we need people that know God's word better than we do. Listen, I, I lead this church, but I also need people in my life that know God's word better than I do. You need people in your life that know God's word better than you do. And so, Brian and I sat down, and, and we talked this last, last Wednesday, and I was telling him about our series, Grace is a River, And um, he goes, hey, could you send me those notes? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's that good, huh? And he's like, it's pretty good. And so I think this is a great message, but I think all my messages are great. Actually, I think you came here today just to hear me preach, by the way. Sorry, praise team. Sorry, worship team. Um, I don't know. Why did I go back to 1992 and call you a praise team? I have no idea. But, um, But I know that you came here to hear me preach, so I'm just kidding hope that's not why you came. Um, But I I sent him the, I was like, yeah, you can have those notes because it's not mine anyway. It's God's, it's God's word. And so uh, week one, we talked about how rivers are a lot like grace. And I gave you six different ways, parallels, that rivers are just like, like grace. And it's, it's amazing. God's word is amazing that it, there are things in nature that it talks about when it talks about characteristics of God. Grace is a river. Righteousness is an oak tree in, in the Old Testament. And, and so, so, like, these are things that we can take, and hopefully, as you're driving down 35 later today and you cross the presump Scott River, that's the river that's there, right? It's the Presump Scott. Am I got the right river? So you drive past it, and hopefully it reminds you of who God is. That's, I think that's one reason why God includes n- nature in, in his word. And so uh, last week we talked about immersing ourselves in the river of grace and talking, talked about how we can immerse our kids in the river of grace. This week I want to talk to you. I'm so excited about this message in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways I'm, I'm scared about this message. Because this morning I wanna talk to you about white water grace, white water grace. Next week, we're gonna talk about um, finding healing in the river of grace. And uh, that's gonna be a good message too, I hope. John chapter seven, you can turn with me to John chapter seven. You can also follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on your cell cell phones, or you can follow along on the screens uh, to my right and left, the screen should tell you how to get to the Uversion Bible app on your phone if, uh, if you don't know how to, to do that. But before we open God's word, I always want to ask him. Every time I open God's word, I always want to ask him to speak to me. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, I pray that um, that your words would be louder than my words, that your opinions would be more important than mine. Father, that I would allow your word to be sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing my soul and spirit. Father, I pray that it would come alive inside of me and that your opinions would be more important than mine. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. John seven thirty-eight thirty-seven-thirty-eight is our theme passage for this series. And it says this on the last day of the climax of the festival. Sorry, they didn't like what I was saying, so they just interrupted me. They're so rude. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. John 7:37 through38, on the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, "Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who, belie- uh, who believes in me." may come and drink for the scriptures declare, what do the scriptures declare? Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And so what we've been saying is that rivers flow from Jesus. And when we drink the living waters of Jesus, we then have rivers of living water that flow through us because rivers flow from the top down. If grace is a river that comes from God, it flows to us. And when we receive his living water, then we become the living water. Some of you you have friends in your lives that are thirsty. My submission to you this morning is that you wouldn't just offer them a drink of water, but you would offer them living water. Hopefully that's why you've invited some friends to to church this morning, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. Stop inviting your friends to church. It's not the church that is the hope of the world. It's the savior that's the hope of the world. So we have to offer them the Jesus that lives inside of us. And the way that you offer them the Jesus that lives inside of you is to offer them the grace that God has given you. Now that's hard. We live in a world that doesn't like to offer a lot of grace, do we? Cancelled. So we have to allow grace to live in us and live through us by accepting Jesus and fully embracing the grace that he has for us. When I first thought of this series, I went to um, to to a bible concordance and i and i i typed in rivers i wanted to see when rivers were mentioned in god's word there are 16 times that rivers are mentioned in the new testament alone then another 141 times in the old testament by the way so rivers are a big deal so this idea of grace being a river, God has always been trying to communicate to his people that grace is a river. But when I looked and I saw the, the times that rivers were in the Bible, I thought something, something struck me as, as, as I, was, I was surprised. And that leads me to today's big idea. I want to share it with you. Today's big idea, if I had one thing I want to communicate to you today, it's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write it down anyway. The way we navigate whitewater grace isn't with a boat. It's with having a solid foundation. Whitewater grace doesn't require a boat, it doesn't require a raft. It's with having a solid foundation. So, Pastor Adam, what, what do you mean by whitewater grace? What, what are you talking about? Well, let's talk about whitewater for a moment. The definition of whitewater is any turbulent or frothy water. I love that word, frothy. Any turbulent. Turbulent or frothy water as found in river, rapids, or surf. Turbulent conditions. So, white water grace is simply turbulent grace. Well, Pastor Adam, what, what do you mean by that? Turbulence is not smooth. You guys, anybody fly and experience some turbulence? You, I, lo- I don't love it when turbulence happens on a plane, but I love to watch other people. <laughs> when you're flying and the, and all of a sudden you you hear a bump or you feel feel a bump, and you and everyone starts looking around and everyone and I'm like I felt it too, bro. Like, yeah, but like people like you can see the people that are really anxious about flying. It's terrible. <laughs> kind of funny, terrible, but turbulence is rough, turbulence isn't smooth, I want you to know this morning that grace isn't always smooth, grace isn't always easy, both the grace that God gives Adam and the grace that Adam has to give other people, it's not smooth, It's not always easy. So grace isn't always smooth. Do you know what causes in a river? Do you know what causes turbulent conditions? What causes turbulent conditions in a river is what's called flow velocity or flow velo, as I like to say, sounds a little easier. Flow velocity, do you remember in, in week one, we talked about this term meander. I actually used it on Monday, uh, last Monday. Uh, we went shopping for my son's birthday and we're, <laughs> we're in a store and the, the, the guy working the store goes, can I help you find anything? And I said, oh, I'm just meandering. And my wife looked at me and she's like, you silly goober. Like she's like, fellas, your wife ever look at you and say, you're a, like, just the look alone just says you're a goober. Like, yeah, that was, that was the look she gave me. Meander, what it means is, is to create a new path. And so rivers, you never see a river that goes straight up and down. The, the muddy Mississippi doesn't even go straight up and down. The, the muddy Mississippi goes like this all throughout the United States. I can call it the muddy Mississippi because I used to live close to it, and it is nasty. It's muddy. Rivers always create a new path. Why do they create a new path? Flow velocity. Because the amount of river and the pressure goes into the bank, bending it, creating a new path. And I'm here to tell you that grace in our lives always creates a new path always sometimes it's a new path for Adam Harold and other times it's a new path for a relationship with someone that we have to to forgive that we have to offer grace to turbulent grace always creates a new path but don't take Adam's word for it let's look at some scripture to see what 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 we um why we need a firm foundation when it comes to turbulent grace. You can turn to Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven, and then, and then flip over to Luke chapter six. Uh, you, can, you can follow along with, with both of those, but this, this surprised me. This idea or this concept that we don't navigate rough waters of grace with a boat. We can't just go with the flow of grace, that doesn't work. We have to have a firm and steady foundation. You see, when I was thinking about this message, I was thinking that maybe the way we navigate whitewater grace is with a system. We need to have a system in place so that we can forgive other people. Or maybe it was with steps. We need to have, I don't know, 12 steps to be able to forgive somebody or to be able to overcome something in our lives that we're battling. Or we need to have, um, my favorite, other people to help us navigate turbulent grace. Now, here's what I want you to understand. All three of those things are great things but they're not gonna get you through the turbulent grace like a firm foundation will. Let me show you in scripture, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows, follows it is wise. This is Jesus speaking. Like a person who builds a house on a solid foundation, Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who built a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now look at Luke 6. Jesus also speaking. (laughs) So why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? Ouch. Can I just stop right there for a sec? Some of you hear on Sunday, but on Monday, it's like the old country song. What is it? Um, Cuss on them Mondays, pray on them Sundays. Right? Thanks, Luke Bryan, for helping me preach this morning. You guys are like, I didn't know he was a country music fan. I'm an all-music fan. But, like, that's, that's the line. Because we have a hard time with making Jesus Lord. But that's why God offers turbulent grace. Because he knows that we have a hard time making him Lord. But that's why Jesus said, you need to have a firm foundation. When the flood waters come, when the rough waters come, you need to stand firm in who I am. Verse 47 I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock when the flood waters rise and break against the house it stands firm because it is well built but anyone who hears and doesn't obey it is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without the foundation when the floods sweep down against the house it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Can I can I say something real quick? Can I get real? This is what happened during the pandemic. Some of you came back to church after the pandemic because you're looking for a solid foundation. Some of you came to church looking for a solid foundation because you realize life is hard. The pandemic was hard. But can I say something real that really hurts me and that really gets my attention as a pastor? There are people that, did, that hadn't built their lives on a solid foundation that still haven't come back to church yet because they've collapsed And what happens in our lives when we obey the words of Jesus, we build our lives on a solid foundation and we stand firm. We don't go anywhere. It's our desire that no one ever collapses on our watch. The truth of the matter is, is that in just a few moments, when we leave here, every single person in this house will have a decision to make to obey the words of Jesus or to disobey the words of Jesus. Can I tell you something that you may not understand or that you may not know? Jesus isn't offended if you choose to disobey. He's not. I'm not offended if you choose to disobey. I'm not offended if you don't come back next week. I would love for you to come back next week because we love you. We're always here. But it doesn't offend me because I know who I am in Jesus and I have built my life on the firm foundation of who he is. Not on my public speaking or my preaching. That's not my foundation. I might joke around, about it, about, about my abilities or not. <laughs> but that's not what I'm built on. That's not what this church is built on. It's built on the solid foundation of God's word. The person that obeys the words of Jesus stands firm. The person that disobeys the words of Jesus collapses. When Tanya and I moved to uh, Maine, with the mission of starting the Refuge Church, that's the only reason why we moved to Maine. By the way, um, we we moved here in 2016, June 2016. And when we when we came, we we prayed and we asked God to give us a vision for what this what this area needed, what this land needed, what these people needed, and. I believe God gave us a a really strong vision. Every pastor, by the way, should believe that God has given them a really strong vision. And um, the thing that I love about the vision God gave us was it came from scripture, which is where it should always come from. The scripture that he gave us was found in Psalm chapter 91. You can turn there if you want to. It's right in the middle of the book of the whole Bible. Psalm chapter 91, and um, I wanna read for you the, the passage that he gave us this vision from. It's Psalm 91, nine and 10. And it says, if you say the Lord is my refuge, he will, and you make the most high your dwelling. You know what the, the, the dwelling of the most high is? It's a solid foundation. Dwelling in the, in the most high, Jesus, is a solid foundation. Verse 10, no harm will overtake you and no disaster will come near your tent. And so the vision that God gave us from this was that we want to go to New England, we want to go to Maine specifically, and we wanna show people that when they make the most high their dwelling, their refuge, They never have to be overwhelmed or overtaken by the storms of this life. We knew coming into this that there will be rough waters. There will be storms. There will be floods. But when you make Jesus your refuge, you never have to be overtaken. And so he gave us the motto of our church, which is never be overtaken. And I love the vision that God's given us. We don't want anyone to ever be overtaken by the hard things in life. But the only way that you can't be overtaken by the hard things in life is if you have a firm foundation. You have to have a firm foundation. When I got to this point in writing my message this week, I, 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 I said to myself, all right, Adam, where do you want to take this? Do you, like, do you want to show, do you want to tell people? Because this is about the point where I, I start to give you points to, to help you live your, your life. And so I was like, How, do you want to give them points to show them that when turbulent grace comes in, when it's going to show up? And I thought, nah, you know what? Turbulent grace comes. I don't have to spell it out for people. They know when they need it. So I decided I wanna show you what turbulent grace looks like and not just what it looks like, but what it accomplishes. And it gave me this beautiful excuse to share with you my favorite story from all of scripture. It's a story that Jesus made up actually. It's not even a true story. It's known as the story of the prodigal son. It is my favorite story in scripture. And God has given me a grace to be able to understand it because I read a book by an author by the name of Kenneth Bailey, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. And um, it it just explains the prodigal son's story in a cultural way that I'd never understood before. It's called The Cross and the Prodigal, by the way, if you want to. Go to Amazon and, and order it. It's such a great book. One of my favorites. Luke chapter 15 is where Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. You can turn to that scripture. But what I love about it is I love, I love that it explains the love of a father and, and, and it. It doesn't just explain the love of a father, but it explains turbulent grace. I, I love the story of the prodigal son so much that um, when, when I was a youth pastor, I, it was my time to preach on Sunday once. And um, I studied the story of the prodigal son and, <laughs> and I, I dressed up like the father in the prodigal son's story to, to preach. You, you got that? Man, I looked young then, a few less pounds, a few less gray hairs. But I fell in love with this story. And uh, you can take my ugly mug down. Thanks. Appreciate it. And I want to read the story for you, but then I want to I share with you what I, what I see in the story that um, will show you what turbulent grace looks like. Jesus told a story and guess who he told it to? He didn't tell it to his disciples. He told it to a group of religious people known as the Pharisees. They were the people that ended up putting Jesus on the cross. And the reason Jesus tells the story is because they're, they're accusing him of eating with sinners and tax collectors. Every single time I read this story, I have to start with verse one and two. It says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and eating with them. The Pharisees and tax collectors believed that you had to be righteous to receive righteous teaching. Hallelujah! Praise Jesus. We don't need to be righteous to receive righteous teaching. In fact, when we're the most unrighteous, that's when we need it the most. You know why these Pharisees and tax why, these Pharisees and uh, religious leaders were upset that Jesus was offering like meeting with these sinners and tax collectors? because they were upset that he was offering turbulent grace. Can I just say that as a follower of Jesus, when you offer turbulent grace to other people that the whole world believes that they shouldn't be forgiven, you'll have some that'll look at you and say, "Why why do you forgive them? Why are, you, why are you friends with that person? You know what they've done. You know that, that they're on the, the predator list, right? You know that, 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 they've, that they've done this. Fill it in. You know that they're gay. You know that they've done X, Y, or Z. Why, why do you hang out with them So Jesus tells three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. I wanna read for you the story of the prodigal, starting in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, a man who had two sons. How many sons did the the man have? Two. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Can we just stop right there? What did his son just, just ask him? He asked him for his inheritance before when? Before he died. You know what the son is saying to the dad? He's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my share now. Can you imagine how that would have made the father feel? So the father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. Notice he had to give it to both sons. He couldn't just say, all right, you get your half now. I'll give the half to the other son when when I die. He had to give it to both sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. The word prodigal. We don't always explain what the word prodigal means. The word prodigal means wasteful. So the younger son goes and he wastes his money on what? On wild living, verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Can we just real quick say, sometimes famine can be a blessing? He was already starving, and then all of a sudden there's no food to be had. Sometimes famine can be a blessing. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. By the way, this boy is Jewish. So what we know by that statement alone is that he's in a land of people that aren't like him. He's, a land of, he's in a land of Gentiles because Jews wouldn't be even around pigs, let alone eat them. the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he, hello, eighth grade. Even the pods that he was feeding, you guys are like, aren't you reading scripture right now, Pastor Adam? Aren't you supposed to be serious? I'm always, I always leave room to laugh. Verse 16. The young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked Good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to, heaven, go to, to my father and I will say, Father, listen to what he says. Father, I've sinned against heaven and and both I've sinned against both heaven and you. I and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. Kissed him. His son said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. This is the speech. This is the one that he thought way back with the pigs. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 20, but the father said, servants, quick. Well, wait a minute. Where's the part about working to making me your servant? He didn't say it. Because when he saw the Father running to him, you know what he knew? He knew that the Father's grace was so good that he could never earn it. Turbulent grace is so good, you can never earn it. You just have to receive it. Notice the son didn't walk away and go, this is too good for me. I can't be here. I got to go back to the pigs. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. I have, have been fattening. He was preparing for it. We must celebrate a feast, but my, we must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead. Notice, dead. Jesus doesn't come to make bad people good. He comes to bring dead people alive. He was dead and now he's returned to to life. He was lost but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the younger son, or the older son was in the fields. How many sons did the man have? He had two. The older son doesn't get talked about enough. But the older son is the reason Jesus is telling the story. When he returned home, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? And the, your brother is back, he, told, he was told. Your father was, has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. Why was he angry? because the father was offering turbulent grace. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused a single thing you told me to do. And all that time when this son of yours, was after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf, Whoa, wait a minute. Where were prostitutes mentioned in the story before? They weren't. Oftentimes we say that the younger son was partying because his older brother accused him of partying. His father said to him, look, dear son, You've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. You're a good son, but we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Three things that turbulent grace does. Number one, Turbulent grace grants the the request, regardless of how we feel about it. When we allow turbulent grace to live in us and through us, people in our lives are allowed to make their decisions. We hate those decisions oftentimes because we've experienced the goodness of the Father and we hate the decision And we do everything we can to prepare the fattened calf for their return. But we, I I, I think it's interesting that the father doesn't go and look for the son. The father didn't, didn't leave the house. He stayed and he prepared the fattened calf for his return. He expected him to come home. Maybe some of you have some people in your lives that have made the choice to not follow Jesus and you just need to keep preparing the fattened calf. The second thing that we see is whitewater grace removes shame. It removes shame. Now, I could preach series, multiple, series on the prodigal son and the way that the father removes the shame of his sons. I don't have enough time to explain exactly what I mean by removing shame, but let me tell you this. The father removes the shame of the older son and the younger son. When the younger son returns home, he already has the speech in, in his head. I've sinned against heaven and you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me your servant. But when he gets home, he sees the shame that the father takes on that used to be on the son. He sees it because the father simply starts running towards his son. And as he runs, back in the day, many scholars believe that Jewish men in this century, in this in this time frame, didn't run past the age of 21, because oftentimes they would they would wear um, a gown. And 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 if fellas, have you ever tried to run in a dress? Hopefully your 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 wives might have. Hopefully they weren't running from you, but maybe they were running. And in order to run in a dress, you know what you have to do. You have to hike that thing up. You have to pick it up. Many scholars believe that he had to hike it up so high that it exposed his underwear, taking on the shame of the son. And now everyone that's waiting, that's around town waiting for the son to come home, they don't see the son, but they see the father sprinting, taking on the shame, exposing himself to everyone, causing them to laugh at the father and not the son. The older son, his, his, what, what was his sin? His sin was he didn't come into the party. The father was throwing a party, not for the son. son it, it, it talks about, we have to kill the fattened calf because this son of mine that was dead is now alive. Who brings us from death to life? Jesus, the father. He's the one that brings us from death to life. This party isn't for the son. The party is for the father. Any of you ever have a birthday party that was celebrating you? That like you have a house full and you just get up all of a sudden and you go and you pick up the pizza for the party? No, of course not. Because when a party is in your honor, you don't leave. But the father left his own party to go and bring his older son into the party. Again, taking on the shame of the older son. Turbulent grace always removes the shame of what you've done. Some of you are here and you think to yourself, how in the world could a loving God love me? How could he forgive me for, for, Pastor Adam, you don't understand what I've done. I don't have to. Because I know the grace of the Father is so good. Number three, turbulent grace restores trust. It removes shame and it restores trust. It grants the request. It removes shame and it restores trust. How did the father restore the trust in the son? You have to go back. Uh, I don't know what verse it was exactly. It's right around verse um, verse 20 or so, where he says, quick, go and get my son, three things. He says, go and get my son the finest robe. You know what I love about this? You know who's, who, who has the finest robe in the house? The dad. Go and get my robe to put on him. Go and get some sandals for his feet. But the second thing that's mentioned in this story is a ring for his finger. Why in the world would he mention a ring for his finger the reason many scholars believe that the reason that he mentions the ring is because this isn't just any ring. This is what's known as the family signet ring. Meaning that it's the ring of the family, having the family seal on it. You know what the having the ring, the family signet ring signifies? That now you have the power to make purchases for your family. Signifying that now the Father trusts the Son again. Turbulent grace removes shame and restores trust. Stand to your feet, I wanna pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Isn't God's word amazing? But what's even better about it is that we get to run the place. And when we run the place, we see that it's true. In a minute, we're gonna sing a song and we'll be dismissed. But this is a moment that we don't wanna rush. Because a little while ago, I said in a few moments, we're going to have to make a decision. Do I obey God or do I just forget about it, disobey God? We all have a choice. We want to help you obey him today because we want you to stand firm. Do a favor, close your eyes, bow your head. When we sing our song, we're going to sing one that celebrates today. But that doesn't mean that you can't come forward and and pray at the altar. We, We always allow praying at the altar. My friend Dave and Megan are up here, and they would love to pray with you. If you have anything in your life that you need prayer for, any turbulent grace that you need, they would love to help you go to the throne room of grace. but maybe you've never received grace. Maybe you thought that you were just too far gone. You've never received Jesus as your savior and your Lord. I want you to know that that feeling inside of you that you have right now, is from him. So let me ask, do you want to receive Jesus? We want to help you with that. So the way that you help that we help you is that we know that that you've done that. We can't know. We can't help you without knowing that you you made this decision. So, if you need Jesus today, you need to to receive Him. Would you do me a favor? Would you slip your hand up and just hold it there for a second so that I can see it, so I can know that. You're putting your faith in Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You need to receive Jesus. If you raise your hand, I want to ask that you say this prayer with me. Say, God, I come to you knowing that I need Your grace, I ask that you come into my life by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus is your son who died, came back to life, giving me an identity in him. I crucify myself today and come alive in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, fill out that card, drop it in the black box, and we'd love to follow up with you. Has God been good today? Are you still glad you came to church today? We're going to sing a song, and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you so much for coming.